it's our hope every week when we come that your faith is strengthened. If you're still trying to figure Jesus out or his church out, God, it's always our hope that uh, your experience here will draw you closer to a faith. We also know that uh, folks come in, and I've had the chance to visit with several this morning who are in struggling spots, and it was just really good to sing the song that talks about faith and just, you know, that he gives us the faith that even when life stinks um, and that we'd like to be somewhere else or doing something else than we're doing, that faith tells us that he's good and we can trust him and believe in him. And it's just my heart that everybody would be able to grow in the faith uh, to understand that. So here we are in our second week in our series uh, on work more than making a living. And I want to ask you to just grab your message notes out of your program. They look like this. They have those big four-letter words, right? The four letters right at the top. Some of you think this is a bad word. It's a good word. And we're going to look at this for several weeks now. And it's our second week that we're doing this. If you have your Bible, you can turn to Genesis chapter 1. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, just make sure to pick one up when you come in every week. And you can follow along. Use it while you're here. Replace it. If you don't own a Bible... It's our desire that you have one, so you can just take one today as our gift to you. We'd love to see you have a Bible in your home as well. So we're talking about this whole idea of work, and, and I just want to give credit today. Uh, for every series, I'll pick several books, call them Pastor's Picks. They're over in the bookstore, and you can look. Usually I try to pick about five to six books per series, because I know a lot of you would like to learn more. You'd like to grow. You'd like to experience. You know, have more information, and uh, that God uses that in your life especially in this issue of work, which can be so confusing. And so uh, the book I want to reference today is one of them. It's called Every Good Endeavor by Timothy Keller. And uh, I'm just going to give credit today that a lot of the thought of my message today uh, and content comes from this book. So I just want to give him full credit. It's just a, an amazing book on work. And you think, you know, really, Ron, work can be amazing? You know, and some of you are thinking about that. I said, yes, it can, especially when we understand it. And that's what I want to talk about today is how can you understand it so that you can value the work that you have and the work that you get to do. So I did a lot of research on work as I was going along, and I found a study that said that by psychologists that talked about work, and it said that we spend one-third of our life working, one-third of our life sleeping, and one-third of our life on the internet. Actually, it didn't say that. <laughs> But doesn't it just seem like that is one-third of life is on the internet? But that's not true. It actually, this series said this, one-third of our life working, one-third of our life sleeping, and one-third of our life hanging out with family and friends. And so what that means is that we're going to spend about one-half of our waking life at work, about one-half of our waking life at work. And so we want to know why is this important? Why is this whole idea of work important? So uh, I sent you an email blast this week. I just want to encourage you to read those every week. Uh, and this week I talked about uh, some quotes from uh, an article by a woman named Dorothy Sayre. And in that article, it's very good, but it was actually written during World War II. But it's amazing when you read that how applicable it is today. So one of the quotes I sent you this week, she said this, society as a whole and individuals in particular are dying because they do not have the revolutionary old biblical doctrine of work. In the Bible, there is a view of work that is revolutionary. That's what we want to talk about today, a revolutionary view of work. The modern doctrine of work that has replaced the old biblical doctrine of work is that work is what you do for a living. 
Work is what you do to make money so that you can do what you really want to do. And many of us, we might have that view of work. We might feel that that's what work is all about ourselves. That's the cultural view. It's what I can get out of life. It's something that I do that can determine my worth and my value, define actually who I am. And yet, even with the cultural view of work being so strong, there are actually voices in our culture crying out in rebellion against that view of work and how it's so pervasive in our society. Many of you may have seen, maybe some of you have seen, the video that went viral of Ashton Kutcher as he was uh, at the Teen Choice Awards. Did you see this, the Teen Choice Awards? No, you didn't see the Teen Choice Awards, but you see the video, okay? So in that video, uh, he kind of went off and started talking about values that he based his life on, and one of them was work. And I want to show it to you today. Let's watch this. In, in Hollywood and in the industry and the stuff we do, there's a lot of like insider secrets to keeping your career going, and a lot of insider secrets to, 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 to making things tick. And uh, I feel like a fraud. Uh, my name is actually not even Ashton. Ashton is my middle name. My first name's Chris. And, and it always has been, and I, it got changed when I was like 19 and I became an actor. But there were some really amazing things that I learned when I was Chris. And I wanted to share those things with you guys because I think it, it's helped me be here today. So first opportunity. I believe that opportunity looks a lot like hard work. When I was 13, I had my first job with my dad carrying shingles up to the roof. And then I got a job washing dishes at a restaurant. And then I got a job in a grocery store deli. And then I got a job in a factory sweeping Cheerio dust off the ground. And I've never had a job in my life that I was better than. I was always just lucky to have a job. And every job I had was a stepping stone to my next job. And I never quit my job until I had my next job. And so opportunities look a lot like work. Wow. So he got a little amped up there, didn't he? You know, he's thinking about this whole idea of work. I love that opportunities look like work. Our culture today wants everything given, right? We want to build a walk right into the home our parents have, the job our parents have, the car, you know, all that thing is the younger generation, but even the older generation, we look at it and say, you know what? I expect things to come to me just because I'm an American or just because I'm a good person. We don't realize that we have to work for the things that we get to have in life. I know in my life, uh, kind of like Ashton, I was working when I was in the fourth grade. It was my first, I think I had a paper route in the fourth grade, then went on to, you know, just many different jobs. In fact, I've always worked in some way or another, uh, not just, you know, the job that I have now, but many, many different kinds of jobs. And I was pretty flaky, so I had lots of jobs, okay, as I was trying to figure my way out uh, after high school. But it's really true, and I grew up with parents who taught me that if I wanted to get anywhere in life, I needed to work for it and make it happen. So how do you view work? You know, how do you think about work for just a little bit? How do the people in your office view work? How do your employees view work? How does your boss view work? How do your coworkers view work in some way? Why do people work? I want to think about that question. Why do people work? Why do people work? Now, I want you to turn to your neighbor right now and tell them why you think people work based on what you see, okay? Just turn to your neighbor. Tell them why you think people work.
Now, it's not bad, okay? We're not talking list of the bad things and why people work. But you know what? People work to provide for their families, right? They say that. They work to provide for their families. People work to get ahead. People work to gain worth and value. People work for acceptance. People work to be defined. People work because they are in so far in debt that they have to and they feel that they're struggling. People work because they, you know, and some people want to work. So you can all probably boil it out all down to this, is the primary reasons that people in our culture work today are to get money and to get an identity. To get money and to get an identity. Kind of primary, I'm not saying everybody, but primary ways to get status. Now some people, you know, love work. Some people hate work. And so you may work around both types, or you may even be both types at different times. You're thinking about, I love my job today. I hate my job today. I love my job. So it's really kind of hard to figure out. Some people love work. Some people hate work. Some people tolerate work. Uh, on Friday, that's my day off, uh, I went shopping here in our you know, community for some things I needed uh, to finish some projects that I'm working on. So as I'm going shopping, I went to two different establishments. The first establishment I went to, uh, I walked in, bought, and took up my products to the checkout stand. And as I'm walking up the checkout stand, the gal's just standing there, just staring. And I walked up in front of her, and she didn't stop staring, just straight ahead. Finally, I just knocked my products down. Oh, yeah. So she, then she helped me. But the whole time that she helped me, didn't even give me bags to carry it out in. Nothing like that at all. So the whole time she's helping me, I'm thinking, you hate your job, don't you? You hate your job. Just flip. Go to another store right after that. Walk in the store. Walk up this young man. He's like, how may I help you, sir? How may I help you? And he's just like, okay, you want these parts looking all up? And he's just zipping around everywhere. Here, let me carry them out to your car for you. There's a guy who loves his job. Some people hate their jobs. Some people love their jobs. Some people tolerate their jobs. But what I hope today is to get you to value your job. But bigger than that, I hope to get you to value the concept of work. So as I was reading this uh, article by Dorothy Sayre, uh, she defined work, and I'm going to give you this definition because I think it's going to be really, really helpful to get you to value work. She says this, work is the gracious expression, oh, I love these words, of creative energy in the service of others. The gracious expression of creative energy in the service of others. And if we could all adopt that as our definition and view of work, we would make this world a lot better. A lot better. You know, there's some things you can notice about that when you look at that definition. It, it's not by gender. It's not by age. It's not by status. It's not by position in life. So what that kind of helps us to see is that this series and this message specifically today is for all of us. It's for the unemployed, the underemployed, it's for the retired, it's for those who have been working 20 years, it's for those who have been working 10 years, been working five years in a job you love, in a job you hate, and it's also for those who are um, moms staying at home, working at home. It's also for all the people that were looking for a way that they can move now out of high school into college. So what do I do? Where do I go? This message is for all of us. This series is for, that's why I chose this, this definition. I think it fits so well that it doesn't let anyone in this room off the hook, okay? We're all on the hook today as we talk about this whole idea of work together. So what I do is I'm going to go to Genesis chapter 1, and in Genesis chapter 1, we're going to look at the value of work and three ideas. The first is this. If I'm going to value work, I need to know what I'm created to do. If I'm going to value work, I need to know what I'm created to do. Now, Genesis 1, 
uh, goes like this. Then God said, verse 26, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish of the sea. You might circle that. They will reign. The birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. You might underline that, in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So what we see here is that God works. He is a God who works. And because he created me in his image, he created me to work as well. Now, you know, this is pretty radical, actually, if you were to go and study uh, uh, religions and views of how work came into existence. And most views of how work came into existence believe that work is punishment, that work is somehow the result of a curse in some way, and that you would never find a God doing work, never find a God doing work. But one author put it this way when trying to describe uh, the revolutionary, revolutionary idea in this verses right there. He described it this way. God is a God with dirt under his fingernails. Dirt under his fingernails. And especially when you get to the creation of mankind account. And God reaches down in the dirt and the dust and he forms man. God is a God with dirt under his fingernails. He gathered dust in order to make us. And so there are many reasons why people believe that God created man then, okay? So we just move from God did create us, God got dirty, God is a creator, and then God expects me to work as well. But why did God create mankind? Why did he put us here in the first place? He, pre- he creates them, he puts them in the garden, and he says basically, I want you to be the gardeners, for you to be the gardeners. So that's the, you know, the first job that was given to mankind was that they would be the gardeners in the garden. This is before the fall. After the fall, we still had work. So before the fall, we had work. After the fall, we had work. After the fall, it just became harder work. It became difficult. That's how we look at that. And because of, um, because of that, because of that understanding that God had actually given us work before the fall, and that if you read Revelation, there's strong indications when you read the book of Revelation that there will be work in heaven as well, so that even when we leave here, we go back to the perfect place, there will still be work. There's strong evidence there that we should believe that no work is menial work. No work is menial work. Every work is important. Everything we do in the, with the concept of work is valuable and valued. So you may think about that. Say, you know, well, Ron, you know what? You really don't know, but I've really worked to get up to here in my life. And so, you know, I have this lofty position. I have this high place that I'm at. But I just want to tell you that you may think you're something, but your ancestors were gardeners, okay? So just know that. Every one of us, your ancestors were gardeners. And so we need to value work. All work has dignity because God does it. We are created to work, and work is part of God's plan for us. So I just want to give some clarification here, though, to help us out a little bit. In Genesis, it talks about the fact that God created. God created the world. God created all that we see. God created man. And the word that's used for created there is a word in the Hebrew language that would say that God God took from nothing and made something. He took from what didn't exist, and he made something that did exist. So when God's created, when he's making, he's doing something that's supernatural, and that's something that we cannot do. So when we say that God created us to work, he's not created us to do the same work that he does or he did. J.R. Tolkien had another phrase for us that I think really helps us to understand this whole idea of work. He says that we are sub-creators. 
We are sub-creators. So what we do is we take what exists, what exists right now, and through the inspiration that we have, through the entrepreneurship that we you know, can muster up, through the skills that we develop, so we take what exists, and now we make something new from that. So we are sub-creators. We cannot create from nothing. We can only create from that which exists. But here's what you need to remember. God created us to work. Okay, second idea is this. God called us to work. God called us to work. Now, I use that word calling on purpose because I just want to kind of debunk something a little bit as we go through this part today. Um, I'm just going to come to the church world right now, okay? Just get something churchy here for just a minute. And the church world, when we say someone's called to do something, who are we usually referring to? Pastors, right, pastors, and missionaries. Missionaries, those who are going somewhere else, giving up themselves for the call of God in their lives to serve him. But when God uses the concept of calling and understand it, he uses it for everybody, that we are all called by him. And so if we understand that, then we need to take that next step. This, since we're all called by him, how do we discover our call? And I'm going to give you three steps, three steps to understanding the call that God may have given you in life. And it's just really easy. It all begins with look. First is look in. If I'm going to understand the call that God's given me, I have to look in. Now, by the way, these guidelines I'm going to give, they'll help you in the job you have now. They'll help you in the job you're looking for. Uh, They'll help you in the space you are right now. They're going to help in every area of life. So you really want to listen up and how you can um, value the work that God's given you. It says in Genesis 128, Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Rain, so all kinds of words here that would say, Here's what you're supposed to be doing. Rain over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. So basically what I'm saying here is if you're going to know God's calling in your life, you first have to look inside at how he made you. You have to look inside at how he wired you. You have to look inside at you know, the, the idiosyncrasies you have, at the gifts you have, at the talents you have, the skills you have. You have to do the hard work of looking inside. And I'll just say this is hard work. This is hard work. This is hard work to do, to spend the time to be honest about who I am. So if you're going to really learn to be honest about who you are, you're going to need some people alongside you. You're going to need some people that you've said, you know what, hey, this is what I, this is what I think I'm doing well. This is where I think I'm struggling. What do you think? Can you give me, some con- you know, give me some confirmation or affirmation? Or you can just tell me I'm all wet. I shouldn't, you know, if I were to tell you today that I'm going to, you know, I think God's given me the gift of singing, everyone in this room would say what? No, okay, because you're my friends. And so this is why you you have to spend time looking at who you are, trying to find out how God wired you. You have to spend some time in introspection. Now, um, Pastor John talked a while ago, he talked about Journey 301. That's next Sunday. Journey 301 is a class designed to help you look inside to see how God shaped you and wired you, specifically for ministry, But we've had many people tell us that because of that class, they've now been able to figure out a career path or a direction or a change or an affirmation or feel better about how they're wired when they really didn't understand how they were wired before. That class teaches us something called SHAPE. S is an acronym. S is spiritual gifts, 
heart is passions, A is abilities, P is personality, and E is experiences. And you take all that together and say, that's you, and now where can you fit best? And so in order to do that, you have to spend some time looking in. Now, our culture right now, that's, everybody's stuck right there. <laughs> looking in, what's best for me, what's best for me, what's best for me, I'm going to do this because it's best for me, because I'm wired to do this, and, they, and what they don't realize is there's a next step that we have to do. We have to look out. We have to look out. That's the next step. So I look in first, but I can't stop there, or it's all about me. I have to look out at what the world needs, and then I have to say, what can I do based upon who I am that will help the common good? will be for the common good. Look at what people need. Here's what it says in Genesis 2.15. The Lord placed the man in the garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. Now, was this simply because Adam was going to be the only one in existence forever? So it would just be a garden just for him? I looked inside. I see I'm a gardener. I'm going to do this well. God put me here, so I'm just going to do this. No, it's because God was putting into place what was going to be happening in the future, that there would be generations to come. There was going to be a fall, but... It, Without a fall, there'd be generations to come because he was going to make Eve and that he's, his job was to tend the garden so that it would be a garden that would take care of everybody. So his job was outward in focus. So I was just thinking about that. What if when we're thinking about work and our future, what if we didn't just look at what we thought we could do well, but what if we asked ourselves questions, and this is what I love in community even more, ask ourselves in questions in community, what could I do that would benefit others? What could I do that would benefit the common good? What could I do that would put deposits into the community rather than take withdrawals out of the community? What could I do in that way? What could I do that God would allow me, what would, could, you know, asking him that would accomplish what he wants me to do that would benefit others in some way. And you just got to know, my belief is that every one of us was placed at this point and this time because God wanted to use who he had made us to be to fulfill the purposes he has for us for the common good. For the common good. So it's really, you value work, you're looking at work in an entirely different concept than most of us have looked at our jobs and what I'm saying here, what I'm talking about here, you can do this no matter what job you have. You can go to work tomorrow, and you can know who you are on the inside, and you can look out and say, what can I do in my work environment for, for the common good? How can I raise the, the, the flavor of my work world? How can I raise the, the emotional temperature in a way that's going to help people get along better, that's going to help the company do better, that's going to help in some way for the common good? Some of you are saying, well, Ron, my work... I, I've done this before. I had a job one time, um, and when I would go to this job, there'd be a ditch that was about 10 feet deep, sewer pipe down in the bottom, and I would go down, and my job all day long was to keep that cleaned out so that they could put more sewer pipe in and to stay ahead of that, and so it was pretty mundane. It wasn't really, you know, I'm thinking, what good is that for the common good? What was I doing that was for the common good? Do you use toilets? <laughs> it was benefiting someone else. So I have to look in my job and I have to find what is in my job that's for the common good. And then I have to look for the common good that I can do in my job and make a difference. So we do that. Okay, the next idea is this. I have to look up. But before I get to that, I had so many comments after the first service that I thought, I God, I could do this again. Okay, so here we go. I'm going to meddle right now because we're in the looking out part. I'm going to meddle. Okay, so just know that. I'm meddling. Okay, got that? I'm meddling. 
When I talk about looking out, I, what I, as I was thinking about this and reflecting on it, because I know we have a lot of retirees in our church, and I was thinking, is, I'm not so sure that the Western culture's view of retirement is the same as the biblical view of retirement. I'm just not so sure. I want to meddle with that just a moment. Just think about that. Did God really design this place so that, you know, I, I work a certain number of years, so I get all I can, and I'm able to then do nothing for like the last 20 or 30 except be a consumer uh, and, you know, keep our economy going because of all I'm spending? No. I, I believe that God allows you to have a season where you are very productive in work so that it can benefit you, so that then as you enter into what you would call retirement years, that now you have more freedom to give away. You have more freedom to look out and to help other people. So I just want to challenge you. I don't think that, you know, retirement's all about watching Fox News all day. I really think that that's causing a lot of people to have high blood pressure and go to the ER all the time. Uh, but real, or, you know, it's not like, you know, God, you know, he didn't call you to play golf all the time. That's great. Your golf can be your working out in some way. I'm not sure. Just, you know, maybe refrain from cussing. Maybe that's the way. I don't know. Uh, or to go in your RV somewhere all the time. I don't know about that. But I do know that while you're gone, you can say, what can I do to look out so that I'm still part of God's work in this world? I'm still valuing the way that he made me to look out. Okay, there's my meddling all over. Okay. But also say this about that. If you're unemployed, and, I'm, and I, you know how much I care for those who are not, that don't have jobs, and I really feel this, or you're underemployed, use the time you've been given to give away. Use the time you've been given to give away. And you'll find yourself a lot more fulfilled, and you'll find, you know, a lot more joy when you're giving yourself away than, you know, when you're sitting on the couch waiting for phone, you know, the phone to ring, eating Twinkies. I think, did they make Twinkies still? Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm really serious. You just want to push on that a little bit and just say for all of us that we need to look out at what we can do. Okay, now we need to look up. Look up to what God has called or destined you to be. So God has a purpose for every one of us, and now we need to look up and we define that purpose, what he's destined us to be. So it doesn't just work to look in. It doesn't just work to look out. Now I have to look up and I have to align my heart with God's will for me, his purpose for me. Ephesians 2.10 says this, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Now when I was reading this book, uh, Every Good Endeavor, he talks about uh, a man by the name of John Coltrane. Anybody know who John Coltrane is? Jazz, yeah, lots of jazz people in here. Pretty amazing. And uh, jazz saxophonist. Uh, in 1957, he became a follower of Jesus Christ. And it changed his life. And it changed his career. And it changed the way that he did music. And he wrote a tremendous piece of jazz. It's a, an album. It's called A Love Supreme. And A Love Supreme is all about his praise for Jesus Christ. So if you ever listen to that album, of, you know, A Love Supreme, you're hearing this guy who, you know, was forming these notes. He was making this music, and it was all designed to bring praise and honor to Jesus Christ. On the inside of the album sleeve, he put this. During the year 1957, I experienced, by the grace of God, a spiritual awakening, which has led me to a richer and fuller, more productive life. At that time, in gratitude, I humbly asked to be given the means and privilege 
to make others happy through music. I feel this has been granted through his grace. All praise to God. This album is a humble offering to him, an attempt to say, thank you, God, through our work, even as we do in our hearts and with our tongues. May he help and strengthen all men in every good endeavor. And then uh, Keller writes about an incident uh, from John Coltrane's life where he was, you know, now going around the country and he was playing this album, you know, this whole thing that he had produced, and he would do it solo, and he would be this jazz soloist, and this one time, I don't know the name of the city he was in, but there was just a moment where it must have been so transcendent that he was taken personally to another place by playing it, the crowd was taken to another place by listening to it, he walks off the stage, he lays his saxophone down, and he says two words, Noc Dimitus. Noc Dimitus. That's Latin. He spoke two words in Latin. Now you have to know Latin to know what he said when he came off the stage. What he, came, what he said when he came off the stage, he said those two words. As the Bible was translated into Latin, Noc Dimitus are the two words that were used by Simeon when the parents of Jesus Christ had taken Simeon to be blessed in the temple. Remember Simeon? Simeon had been given the promise, you will not go from this earth till you have seen the promised one. Nonc Dimitus was his response. And his response was, I can be taken home now. God, you can just take me home. And that's what John Coltrane was saying as he came off the stage. God, it's so rich here. I'm fulfilling the purpose you've made me for that God, it just can't get any better from this. You can just take me home. You can just take me home because I am fulfilling the purpose you made me to fulfill. Isn't that rich? And that's what God wants for every one of us. He wants for every one of us to come to a place where, you know, hopefully you're older when you say this. God, you can just take me home because it can't get any better than this because I am embracing who you made me to be. I'm living it out and other people are benefiting. And God, what I realize is it says about David in the New Testament book of Acts, it says that he fulfilled his purpose in his generation, and then he died, and he went home. And that's what he wants for every one of us, that we fulfill our purpose in our generation, and we would do it through the concept of work. Now, I just want to kind of, you know, give you another thought, and uh, this is based, I already knew I was going to do this, uh, but last week I had someone come up to me after last week's talk and said, Ron, I'm not sure I can take four weeks of do more, do more, do more, do more kind of thinking that that's what it was all about, you know, work more, work more, work more, you know, and, and so we talked last week a lot about that, but really, I know John's heart, that wasn't where it was, and John had no idea, um, John knew, by the way, that I would be talking about this idea this week, that person didn't know, but they just said, basically, if I get four more weeks of this, you don't know what it's going to do to my wife, <laughs> that she's going to feel so much more stress, because she's already stressed at work, doesn't feel she can ever do enough, and so I need her to really hear more about boundaries. And so uh, what I want to do is I want to give you this last idea, because just so you know, we're not saying do more, do more, do more. Here's what you need to know. If I'm going to value work, that I have to know that God commanded me to rest. He commanded me to rest. We have to know that and understand it and believe it. So how did God call me to work? Ephesians 6, 7, we looked at last week. Work with enthusiasm and those, as though you're working for the Lord rather than for people. So he said we have to work for God, and then we have to do our work as God worked. Well, how did God work? Okay, go back to Genesis chapter 2. 
On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all his work. You might underline that, rested from all his work. That's how God did it. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was a day when he rested, once again, from all the work of creation. If I'm going to understand the concept of work and that I'm going to work like God worked, I need to know that he took a day of rest. And not only did he take a day of rest, but then he put it over into the Ten Commandments so it became one of the big ten. And this is what he says. You have six days each week for your ordinary work. I'm going, well, what happened to the five-day work week? <laughs> six days. So I just you know, went home and told Kim. I says, my job is perfect. I get six days I work and one day I don't. So it's just what God ordained. Okay, there you go. You have six days each week from your ordinary work. The seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. So here's what God did. He designed us to work. He designed us that work would benefit us and that our work would benefit the world. But he designed it to be around rhythms. I have to have a rhythm of work and rest. Work and rest. Work and rest. You know, research has been, a lot of research has been done on sleep right now. You know, you see that, saying we're a sleep-deprived uh, world. And uh, here's, the, here's the research says that what a typical person needs eight to nine hours of sleep a night. Now, how many of you are getting that? Eight to nine hours of sleep a night. Very few. Very few. And that the typical teenager, here we go, teenagers, high school kids, need ten hours of sleep a night. And so, why don't we get it? Why don't we get it? It's because we don't trust God enough to rest. We don't trust Him enough to rest. If we do, we'll be like the psalmist. Look at this psalm, Psalm 3. Surrounded by enemies. This is what the psalmist wrote. Can you imagine how you would want to stay up all night planning what's going on? But here's what the psalmist said. He's surrounded by enemies. He said this, I lay down and slept, Yet I woke in safety, notice this, you might underline it, for the Lord, who was? The Lord was watching over me. He's watching over me. The Lord is watching over me. So here comes the bottom line. If I'm going to be able to work, I've got to also rest. And my rest and my work, both together, show my faith, as we talked about today, my trust in God. Not just working myself to death thinking, okay, I'm doing everything that God called me to do. I'm doing what he made me to do. I'm helping everybody. But then he says also, will you trust me to rest? Will you believe that even though you think that you are the savior of the world, that I'm going to use, I can use somebody else. I can. In fact, I can actually make it happen myself because I can create something from nothing. Trust me. Trust me. So now let me give you the bottom line of the talk today and we can go um, and understand what it is I really was trying to say um, that we can really comprehend. It says this, what you do doesn't determine who you are. Who you are determines what you do and how you do it. Who you are determines what you do and how you do it. Let's pray together. God, I want to thank you so much for this, the opportunity we have today to hear from you, that we would embrace you, embrace your truth today. And Lord, I, I just pray for everyone in the room now, and I'm going to be really sensitive to those who are really unemployed or underemployed, and I know the pain they feel from the folks I've talked with and having been unemployed myself in the past. I understand that. And so, God, I pray that you would just buoy them up today and know that our church cares. And Father, I pray for those of us who are um, just struggling today about our jobs and career and place in life, that uh, you've really given us a, a kind of a, a way to look and value 
work, not only from, for today, but for all of life. And that is that we realize we're created, sub-created, we're sub-creators, that we can take what's around us and we can make something that can benefit society. Help us to look in to know how you made us. Help us to look out the way we can help others. God, help us to make sure that we're fulfilling your purpose, what you've called us to do. And God, I pray that you would help us to trust you enough to rest. One day out of seven. To spend with you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.